Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtcast. Uh, dark and despairing times to say the least, but we're back with a, another episode to hopefully bring you some joy and entertainment and really, to be honest, to fill our lives with a little bit of uh, hope and chat right now because honestly, there's not too much to report. But yet again, we're back here giving you some good chatter. Of course, I'm not here alone this time. I'm here with my good friend, Danny Raza. Danny, how you doing, buddy? Hey, man, I'm good. It's starting to starting to tire, isn't it, the whole uh, self-isolation thing? But we're, we're, we're all good. Um, starting to forget that football exists almost. But uh, not to worry. There's plenty to talk about, I think, in, in some respects. And uh, we're probably going to take a little bit of a trip down memory lane and talk about a few other uh, a few other topics just surrounding Aston Villa and yeah I'm just kind of just excited to talk about football again it's just not part of my daily life oh I know it's getting like beyond depressing in in that kind of element um just to run you guys over the schedule for this episode it's a whole themed episode to be honest we're going to get into a little bit of news before we get into that of course uh this episode will be featured around our managers of the decade we're gonna essentially rate them from worst to last i give our thoughts of course um you guys on the 7500 to hold twitter account you can follow that at 75 7500 to hold if i can get that out properly on twitter um and it's greatly appreciated for all that interactivity but with that being said, we'll get into the Premier League news because we're always a little bit late to the news, but we're going to discuss it anyways, aren't we, Danny? Um, there's been four key points from the uh, meeting that went on with the Premier League uh, heads on Friday. Uh, those being that the clubs are at this point generally accepting that there is no uh, set date for the Premier League to return at this point. They're essentially going to wait until things get better. Um, so with that being said, Danny, if we're going to go over this first point here quickly, what are your thoughts on that? Because when I look at that, in my opinion, I think that's just a good sign to say this thing is bigger than football. It's bigger than just an individual person they're finally accepting that things need to just be taken care of until things change and go back to normal yeah we can't really we we, we can't really predict what's going to happen over the next couple of months you know neither you or i are medical experts but i think um what is being clear is the the longer that this uh quarantine or this uh or these government restrictions are in place um the more that people are kind of having their eyes open and realizing how serious this whole this whole issue is and we're not gonna we're not gonna get too deep into talking about the coronavirus but you know um we, we we've, we've just got to wait we've just got to wait and see you know if it peaks soon enough then perhaps you know there'll be talk about uh football returning i'm sure there's other potential ideas they have in place for you know say for example if people aren't able to kind of go to stadiums and, and, and that kind of thing. But um, it is interesting just kind of seeing the whole sporting world maneuver around all this, because I think like in America, I think in the States, like I think the president had a conversation with leaders from all the different leagues about trying to get stuff back together for like August or something like that. Um, I'm not sure what the timeline kind of is looking like in the UK right now, but they, they just can't, make a guess can they they can't just pretend right it's going to be fine in july um we know that for certain let's plan it for then oh 100 percent like we can both agree that this is probably the biggest pandemic in our life um we're we're still young so we haven't (laughs) seen a huge amount but 
you'd have to imagine even people that are in their 70s or 80s, you'd have to say this might be the biggest thing. It's hard to say. We don't you can't put a, a capsule on this and give it a time frame. It's it's too unpredictable. Um, we'll get into two other points and then we'll get into the last one, because uh, that's the big uh, kind of topic of discussion, especially on Twitter um, and in the media. Uh, but the two before that essentially is a total of one hundred and twenty five million pounds. Um, will be advanced to EFL and National League clubs to help with cash flow. Um, this appears to be simply money that they can um, basically receive now, and it's not going to be uh, money that would have been, I guess, seen as donations. Um, so they're getting it, essentially what I'm saying is in advance instead of um, over time. Uh, the next one is the Premier League is donating £20 million to the NHS and other good causes. Um, so that appears to be around one million pounds per club. Um, so that'd be from like future cash they would have received from central Premier League funds and all that kind of stuff. So that's a great effort there. Um, These are all proposals. For that. Y- yes, as- essentially, but you'd have to imagine those two go through. Um, the football side of it, you kind of have to look after the other clubs or the whole pyramid's going to topple under. And the other part, I think, is just a good, not even just a good, like, humane gesture, Danny. I think it's essentially almost a good spot of advertisement for the Premier League to say, hey, we're helping on all fronts. Yeah, but I think, you know, there's there, there's part of these proposals as well kind of include players taking salary cuts. And yes. that's that's causing a lot of controversy. Yes, exactly. Uh, so that's essentially the last point here. Um, every club is to ask their players to agree to accept only 70% of their normal pay with about 30% of that within that combination of pay um, is cut and deferred. So it'd be essentially delayed or lost wages. Um, we've seen a lot. We'll get into this here as a little uh, topic of discussion here quickly. Uh, because, Danny, we've seen um, players such as Wayne Rooney uh, come out in the media and say, why are footballers essentially being attacked and be put under the the microscope here to, say, lose wages and all that kind of stuff? Uh, he did make a good example. I believe it was him that said, I can afford it with all the money I have made, and that makes sense with him. But for players making, say, two grand and under, it's hard to say if they can afford this, they might have house payments, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to get into that, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on it because some people are definitely out there saying, yeah, take the money away from them. But in the end of all this being said, it's their money. They can really do what they want with it. Yeah. It's an interesting, it's an interesting topic. I I just, I'm kind of of the school of thought where like, you know, I mean, I, I don't think they're necessarily going to take it off players who are, I mean, I don't, I don't think, you know, anybody's asking for players who are earning sort of like two, two or three K a week to kind of give money away. But like nobody needs to be earning 50 or 60,000 pounds a week. You just don't need it. Right. And then you've got um, players like you've got players like Kyle Walker, you know, for example, who who have shown this week that they're happy to kind of throw money at, 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 at you know, just really unnecessary things. Um, yeah. But then at the same, well, yeah, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Yes, but, I do. <laughs> um, but like, the thing is, the thing is, like, I I do get the point. Like, why should footballers have to, um, why should footballers have to make up the shortfall when uh, the owners of the football clubs have so much money? Why are then you know billionaires instead having to? Well, why why is it that the billionaires there are basically? Um, you know, getting to keep their money whilst their employees are essentially 
taking the pay cuts. You know what I mean? Why not just take it straight out of the hands of the of the of the club owners? I guess that's what people are talking about. And also the idea that you know there's all these other business owners out there. There's plenty of billionaires out there in the world who can make those contributions. I just think that sort of on a on an individual basis, you look at it, and I, I just I just can't fathom how somebody needs 50k a week. Yeah, that's true. I think the thing that annoys me the most about this whole thing and what I hope does not happen, Danny, is if players, if certain players opt out of it and we don't know everyone's situations, to be honest, just in the general world of sports, we all know um, some players just can't manage money. They splurge it all every way or six ways from Sunday. Um, some may be paying off extremely high debts. We don't know. Like there's so many different circumstances. I just hope for those players that opt out of it. They're not, they're not publicly put out there to be criticized because at the end of the day, yes, it is their money. They can do whatever they want with it. If they opt out of it just because they want to, you know what? It's fair enough. They can do whatever they want. I think it, it's kind of funny if you look at it in a global scale, cause it's almost like, some people look to the people with extreme wealth and just go fix it you know what i mean it's it's not the best example i could use but i I feel like we i feel like we're looking for scapegoats almost just to say like you can afford to live off this you can afford this you can afford that i can't so like support me do you know what i mean like it's it's one of those situations i kind of look at that kind of thing and it frustrates me because if i was a Premier league player um, and I might be coming off as an idiot right now, but if I was a Premier League player and they, and I was making, say, 50K a week, of course I would want to help out, and of course I would. But there are going to be those people that just don't want to, and I think what I'm trying to get at is we just have to respect that. Yeah, yeah, it's not your money. It's not your money at the end of the day. I mean, I, I think I think it is fair enough to kind of say, let's, you know, instead direct that at, at the billionaires and 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 you know the moguls out there who, who, who clearly have a lot of money you know i mean we can't name names and i think that this isn't that's not necessarily the right thing to do but we know that there's tax evasion going on at, at those sorts of levels or you know at the, at the very least sort of people that avoid um people that avoid giving money and that again not targeting anyone individual any any individuals in particular but we just know that that goes on to some degree um and and you know, it's not it's not the footballers who the footballers can't save this crisis. You know what I mean? Footballers aren't the ones mm-hmm. who can who who are gonna change the way things are going. Do you know exactly. what I mean? They can they can they can they can help out in whatever way. They, I mean, the, the the PFA, they're they, I mean they they kind of came back and you know they made their own point. They said that it would potentially be detrimental to the to the NHS because it affects tax contributions. Um, also, I think. Uh, they they also said to the league that you know you should increase uh, your own 20 million pound charity pledge. Uh, I think what will happen at the end of this anyway, surely there'll be an agreement reached to um, to, to some uh, you know on, on on some sort of level and and everybody will be okay. Um, at the end of the day, as long as you're uh, as as a footballer, if you're managing your finances properly. Uh, I just I can't I can't have that same amount of um, what's the word I can't have that same amount of sympathy for you as I would for you know say your your average everyday worker who's who's lost their job exactly like I I think the thing uh, that people look out for and this is just my opinion is obviously 
everything's really subjective for people. And I think some people will look at if you're rich, oh, you have money. So I'm going to classify you as a rich person. You have so many options. Whereas you can look at even use me for an example. I'm and you could probably use yourself, Danny. We work for a living. We have to work for a living. It's just part of reality. That's how we support ourselves. We can help out in other ways, I'd imagine. Um, could I probably help maybe like donate $20 a month? Yeah, probably. Um, but there's other ways I could do it. I like there's just I think what I'm trying to get out here is essentially there's different ways that we can do, uh, provide support. And I think that's important to uh, to remember. But nonetheless, Danny, let's get on to the game, shall we? Yeah, let's get on to that. But um, actually, you know, just whilst we're on that topic yep. of, um, of, of of finding ways to support and, and, and work with charities and that kind of thing. And I yep. just give a quick shout out to Ezri Konza, who competed in a FIFA game against Diego Hotter, I think, on the weekend. Yeah, and they, still ra- lost. they raised, still <laughs> lost, you know, every every, every weekend. We're, we're accustomed to it as Villa fans, but um, they, they did raise a, a, a few thousand pounds, I believe. Um, yeah, fair play. So just fair play to them. I think it's a pretty cool idea, the whole sort of FIFA tournament, which is which is going on. Uh, fair play, Ezri. 5 3 is a respectable score. I'll tell you know what I would take that over a two 0 loss. I will take a five three <laughs> loss. At least we show some excitement. Um, I would definitely take that. But nonetheless, guys, let's get into the game here. Of course, uh, as I said at the beginning of this episode of the podcast, uh, we're gonna rank managers of the last decade. We're going to uh, be a little uh, open and include Martin O'Neill uh, because he uh, left at I think it was August 2010. Um, so he comes in at the tail end of that. Um, so we will include him in the decade of rating. Um, so within that list, we'll go from oldest to uh, newest, technically. So you have Martin O'Neill, uh, Gerard Houllier, Alex McLeish, Paul Lambert, Tim Sherwood, Remy Gard, uh, Roberto Di Matteo, Steve Bruce, and uh, Dean Smith. Uh, lots of opinions. We'll start from the bottom and uh, go to the top. Because uh, we started from the bottom over here. I just wanted to say that so badly. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> Canadians are obsessed with Drake, aren't you? <laughs> well, no, it just came to my mind and I had to say it. <laughs> um, so, Danny, we're going to break this down. We'll we'll go over the, the records, uh, maybe mention a win percentage or two. Um, oh, yeah. Of course, their longevity as manager, key things they did, all that kind of stuff. And, of course, we'll get your guys' tweets in on it because I said at the start um, we got some great interactions there. Some people did their own list, and that's great to see as well. Um, so without further ado, my good friend Danny, sir, um, who is last on this list? Who is your choice? So I think this is difficult because um, I was quite tempted to put Remy Gard there, but I think the Roberto Di Matteo has got to be um, at the bottom of this list. I think... I, no, no disrespect to him as a manager. I know that he's achieved. Um, is he? Is, is he won a Champions League? Yes. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, he has. I remember. I remember us like getting a little bit excited about that when he first came in. Obviously, he was maybe the start of the new era at Aston Villa when Tony Jaa came in, Doctor Tony Jaa. Um, he was the guy that was put into place. We were kind of promised that look, we're gonna work towards promotion here. We've got plenty of money. <laughs> let's uh, let's do what we can. Um, but unfortunately, I think his win record was was awful. He won just one of eleven championship games in charge. Um, yeah, he basically 
was sacked within 124 days. Yeah. Um. He, yeah. So his uh, longevity was what June 2016 to October 2016. It wasn't very long in terms of employment. Uh, I think an overall rating of 174 in terms of record uh, leads to an 8.33 win percentage. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not. Not too spectacular there i'll agree with you on that one um to be honest it's definitely a toss-up between him and remy guard um it, it's kind of funny if you look at this list danny and it's almost like a pyramid it went from just good to downhill quick um when you look at it kind of in terms of the list um it's crazy to see how we went from one high to absolute lows and hopefully we're starting to get back to where we were hopefully and that's a key word hopefully um yeah but we had yeah. a lot of managers over over that time period too many um but to be fair you look at Watford and they probably had double that amount so yeah, or yeah, Sunderland totally. so but uh, I think the arguments sorry I think the arguments got to be made as well like over that period of time I mean I don't think we acted very quickly in terms of like sacking managers sometimes no not at it, all like uh, if you there's some tough ones in here and we'll kind of go through them individually but you'd have to say um like Alex McLeish probably could have been sacked a lot sooner because I thought that was toxic from the get-go um Di Matteo we I don't think anyone really understood that appointment there's just a, there's a bunch in there I think we can agree Danny that just never made sense yeah yeah I mean I think it'll be interesting um when, when, when we get through this but um do you remember there was actually a period of time as well I think when like Steve Marshall and, and uh, was it Steve Marshall and Anthony Marshall were both caretaker managers at Villa. I think that I think that 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 might have been between Team Sherwood and Paul Lambert too. But we're not. We're it's just worth saying we're not. We're not. Uh, it was Scott Marshall, not Steve Marshall. Sorry. Uh, we're not including the caretaker managers within this. So that no. Just want to just want to put that one out. Yeah, good to point that out because I completely forgot to mention that. Um, but without further ado, we'll cement Roberto Di Matteo as the worst manager of the last decade for Aston Villa Football Club. Second to last, or second last, I should say, um, is, in my opinion, you'd have to go with Remy Gard. Uh, November 2015 to March 2016, I do believe, a 3-7-13 and 13 record, a 13.04 win percentage. Um, kind of came in with a little bit of uh, unpeculiar fanfare from what I was reading on Twitter and different media outlets that he was this great hope from France, had a, a decent record over there, uh, a decent footballing mind. Of course, a lot of people were like, oh, you know, Wenger bought him as a player and all that kind of stuff. So somehow they thought he'd be automatically a great manager. Um, but there was some positivity around him at the time. Um, but now you could hear thing, uh, audio clips from Gabby Bon Lahore. I think other yeah. players have come out and said, like, <laughs> basically he was just odd, didn't even want to speak really English, wasn't interested in it. Uh, very weird tactics and just kind of motivation and morale kind of tactics and adjustments, whatever. Um, so for my pick to, for second to last, I would have to say Remy Gard. How about yours, Danny? Yeah, I think I think that's what we'd agreed on. Um, I think it's interesting that um, Gabby said that. Uh, it was it was quite interesting actually when when you look at Gabby's list of of managers that he didn't didn't like. I didn't agree with all of them, um, but yeah, he, he, I can understand what he's saying about Remy. So like that, I think it, I would have been tempted to actually put him last as well because he was the guy that took us down. He was the manager that that, that took us down, and you know there wasn't any. There wasn't any hope that season of us even staying up, really. Um, 
I just, yeah. Do, do you remember how awful that was? Like, oh, it, was, he didn't, it, it was gutless, wasn't it? He didn't care. Like, it, you could see it on his face from day one. It didn't look like he was, you can genuinely see, at least I think I can, if you have a straight face on, I can still see if you're happy to be somewhere. You, you know, you can tell if someone wants to be somewhere. And from the day Remy Gard was appointed, it just, I, I don't know, it just seemed like he was using it maybe as another paycheck, maybe to add something to his resume, maybe thinking, you know what, if I do turn this around, I can get out of here. Because I never thought he was the the permanent kind of long-term fix regardless. Um, essentially, it was just a team of skeletons that was thrown together um, after another relegation survival season in the year prior um, under Sherwood. Um and Lambert at that time. And it just, I don't know. He just, he, I just didn't get any kind of care in the world for him. Really. Wasn't he at Montreal straight after? Yeah. I think he's there right now. No, um, he's not. He's, he's been, is he, he not? Was replaced, no, he was replaced by um, Wilma Cabrera. Oh my. Okay. So that's interesting. I want to look that up actually. That's really intriguing. I thought yeah, he was still they, there. Cause I think they failed to, I think this was in 2019. And they fail to qualify for the MLS Cup playoffs. I should really know that. They're only two hours away from me. Um, oh, oh yeah, Thierry Henry's the manager. What am I talking about? Yeah, yeah, Henry. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I should know that. That's really bad of me. Yeah, so, I don't know. I, I think that's an easy one to cement as second to last. Um, shall we move on to the third one? Do you want to give me your third pick, uh, third pick from bottom? Who did I say was my third pick? Right. I think... Oh, yeah, okay. So I'm going with Alex McLeish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know, actually. I'm, I think there was... For me, this was difficult because McLeish and Sherwood both kind of... So I'm going to go with McLeish because at least with Sherwood, there was a... We, we, we had a period of time with him where it kind of felt like we might have been doing okay. But yeah. with McLeish, it was straight away. That appointment was just met with so much, like, we we just weren't happy with the appointment. I don't think like collectively as a fan base, you're talking about the manager who brought, who took our, who, you know, basically relegated our, our rivals, you know, Birmingham city. This was, this was a manager who, who took them down, wasn't he? And, oh, and, absolutely. And, and you know, what, why, why would we then believe that it would be good enough for Aston Villa? Yeah. Like even I'm looking kind of through a lot of people on Twitter's, uh, ratings um so they did well basically the top from bottom so they did it opposite um but if i was to shout out one person from their list it's at arkson alex um and he actually puts uh he went guard di mateo julier then mcleish which is interesting um we'll get into julier later but it's just interesting to see someone put him actually forth from bottom because i think from the get-go he was ex- essentially exiled from Villa fans because of, of course who he managed prior to that being being Birmingham City so we expected that off the bat and I, I think even beyond that it, it just never seemed to click any which way um, I don't know if it was a player personnel thing it could have been a bunch of other things his record honestly wasn't like the worst thing in the world he had a 21.43 win percentage a 917 and 16 record it's not the worst it's definitely not the best um a lot of draws in there so that's a little bit concerning but we're still picking up points during that time that's june 2011 to may 2012 but that whole 
season really it just seemed like a long slog there was a lot of negativity we've seen that a lot over the last few years and I think the appointment just kind of epitomized that Danny yeah I think so I mean he brought in Alan Hutton which was (laughs) which was good (laughs) I think um it was also just a weird season it was that weird season where we had Robbie Keane and Jermaine Genus as well um Shea Given as well it was also the season where Charles and Zogbia finally signed for us (laughs) <laughs> I forgot after, about that. Yeah, after constantly being linked with us um, and just turned out to be a, just a, a real flop, really. Um, yeah, it's just, I don't know, don't know what it was about that Alex McLeish period. It's just, it, it was never going to work. Uh, I don't think the fans were ever really behind him, but at least with him, Villa stayed up. You know, I think at least there was some sort of def- defensive composure that season. Well, I think the thing with that season, too, is we were definitely on the kind of decline already. So I think it was essentially just man, um, like managing decline. I never kind of felt I never really got the sense of that we're going down, um, albeit it was really negative and bad. I still felt like we were able to grind out games and kind of maintain through that. So I wasn't nervous there. But to get back to the Twitter, um, someone else here at YXLLL. Y-X-L-L-O-P. I don't know if that stands for something. <laughs> it's definitely uh, hard to say out loud. He also puts McLeish seventh, um, and he puts Sherwood ninth, very last, which is interesting. Um, but, uh, no, it's interesting to see McLeish basically around the same area that we rate him. Um, no one slayed at McLeish in the sense of saying, like, he was a blue nose, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so that was good to see. Um, but, uh Yeah. We'll have to cement him as the the person who is down there <laughs> because yikes. Um, there was just next... lots of draws. There was just lots and lots of draws in that season as well. You know, yeah. I think it was and, and and it was just kind of we'd lost a lot of points from winning positions. If we'd have just kind of won some of them games, we'd have done a little bit better. But you got to remember, you know, with this, I think we'd finished we'd finished maybe like I think it was tenth or eleventh the the season before. And yeah. then to just kind of drop that far down, it was like that. That was the real season where we realized, yeah, Villa aren't the same anymore. I oh, think that's that, that's where I think that's where Alex McLeish kind of is. He, he wasn't necessarily the, the guy that did it. But um, I think he was the start of that of that poor era of Villa. Yeah, if you guys ever hear me stumbling, it's because I'm reading through the the Twitter questions, and some people are so negative about our managers that actually leaves me stumbled. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, okay, so next, okay, I'll do the next pick here, and then we'll get your thoughts on it, my good friend here. Okay, so we've said Di Matteo bottom guard, then McLeish. After that, ooh, that's see, this is where I struggle. I'm either going for Sherwood or Julier. No, it's you can't go Julier over Sherwood. Like, I, 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 I personally, and you can, you can, you can do some convincing for me if you, if you feel like it. But personally, I think Julier was just unlucky. I mean, he got ill, and True. he was, he was okay, considering what had just happened to Villa. Considering O'Neill had just left Villa in disarray and Julier stepped in like that. Um, True. I don't know. I don't know. That's just me personally. Sherwood Sherwood was there when I think Villa went on that awful, awful streak. What was it? Was it, was it like a record losing streak? 
Are you talking about the relegation season? Yeah. Yeah, it was... I can't remember exactly. Uh, if you wanted to look at that up, I'll do a little chit-chat now. Um, I can't remember exactly, but yeah, that definitely was him. Um, yeah, you know what? I'll go for Tim Sherwood then, uh, fourth from bottom. Uh, February 2015, October 2015, a 10-2-16 record. Uh, 35.71 win percent ratio. So not definitely not the worst, um, but... There was definitely a lot of positivity with Sherwood in terms of the FA Cup run. So I think that papered over a lot of the cracks. Uh, everything kind of came undone as soon as the FA Cup final kind of came around. <laughs> I yeah, don't want to yeah. go over that result. Um, so I think when you look at managers like Tim Sherwood, they're very good morale men, but they're very good morale men for a very short term period. I don't think anyone would put their stock in Sherwood as a long term manager. I'm sure he's a nice guy. Um, a lot, he was great to see in press conferences, definitely liked actually watching those, um, cause he always had some kind of quirky and interesting to say, um, but essentially just didn't get the job done. Um, the transfer policy to be fair to him was all over the place, uh, basically the following season, the relegation season. So I'm not sure how much input he actually had into some of those transfers. I don't want to put them all on him. Um, you probably have to put some of them on him. Um, but it was just very all over the place. You could see some of the ones probably more of like the English players that he wanted to probably bring in versus the French players, which was the cheaper, um, kind of transfer policy of our board at the time. And that mix ultimately, as even Gabby said in an interview was just our downfall. What's annoying though, is that we had good players that season, didn't we? We had Idrissa Gay, we had Jordan Veritu, we had... Jordan Amavi, these are all these are all really good players, which really kind of makes you question: Was it the players or was it the coaches? But Sherwood, he, I think he made those comments, didn't he, after that after a Swansea defeat, saying that there was a lack of quality in the first team and that they were carrying players basically. And he was basically just saying, "Look, there's nothing I can do with this team." Yeah, I. You know what? If if we're gonna speed the, we'll we'll, we'll put uh, we'll put Tim Sherwood and then uh, should we put Julie right above him? Would that be fair? Yeah, I guess so. Even though even though it pains me to to keep Lambert anywhere near the top. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll definitely we're gonna we'll get to him next. But I think keeping those, I, I don't want to be unfair to Julie. He actually did a, a pretty darn good job. This is the thing. I don't. I don't get why, why Julie is viewed so negatively. And Gabby probably didn't like Julie because Julie liked tactically astute players, which Gabby never was. Well, I I think the other issue was too is they went under such a, a kind of an ethos, uh, a mindset under Martin O'Neill, where players like Gabby they knew exactly what their role was. He was essentially a pace merchant, you'd have to say, who could kind of grind in the corners on the wings under someone like Hule, who's going to be a lot more technical, going to be a lot more that you're going to see probably a lot more passing and a lot more um, skill. I would say in my opinion um, with someone like Jared Hulier. And I think a lot of people maybe aren't even aware of the situation with Hulier, why he left the reasons what happened. So I think some people, I don't want to say a lot, but some people definitely probably don't know the full story and base it off of, uh, a lack of understanding and information, um, like most people do in the world. Um, but Julio's record was 14, 8, and 14, uh, 38.89 win percent ratio. So he was even in terms of wins and losses. Um, so with that being said, 
definitely a good record there, but of course he was only there for around a year. So uh, it, it is what it is there, but let's get on to, he, wait, he, can I just say as well, you yeah, also sorry. made, you also made that Darren Bent signing in that January, which, which really sort of saved filler as well. Yeah. He was a man on fire during that point. Like Darren Bent couldn't put a foot wrong during that period. He was on fire. And then as soon as he left, I don't know what happened with Darren Bent. It just never worked out. No, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, I just thought with Houdier as well, there was there was something different going on. So with the, 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 there obviously wasn't a lot of money left over, was there, once O'Neill left? And no. um, because of that, I think Houdier struggled a little bit. But he tried to bring in players like, like Jean Dumacoon, Michael <laughs> Bradley. I, I, I really like Jean Dumacoon. I, I honestly did. I really liked him. I think Villa as well were having to try and bring through a lot of players from the academy, like Kieran Clark almost coming in there quite early. Jonathan Hogg as well, I think, played for a significant amount of time in that season. Nathan Baker was starting to come through. You know, this was really a, a period where a lot of the young players were having to step up. Yeah, that's true too. Uh, it... Honestly, if I would, I wish we had a larger sample size with Julier. If it was three years, I would love to see where we were at because you can maybe even argue that things turned around a little bit better and maybe he's number one on this list. A little bit hard done by to be just above Sherwood and under Lambert. But I think for this next one, uh, Danny, I think we can kind of agree um, that it's Paul Lambert. Yeah, we'll go with Paul Lambert here. Um so he's one of those way in hindsight, he kept Villa up for, you know, a number of seasons. But having said that, we were, he- I, we were heading down in that final season. And I think he'll argue that he wasn't given the money to survive. He wasn't given the money to kind of keep the team up. But honestly, in recent years, seeing his managerial record, I don't know if it would have made a difference. Um I wonder. I, I really didn't like the negativity when he was in charge. Yeah, okay. Th- this is the thing with him. A lo- he was a hot prospect with Norwich. He essentially, I don't know that just everything clicked with him in Norwich, and I think it was almost too good to leave. And in my opinion, for a long-term Premier League legacy, he probably should have just stayed at Norwich because I don't know what it was about that team that stayed up that, I think it was 2011, 2012 season. Mm-hmm. Um, they were, they were fantastic. Like they played some great stuff. Grant Holt was on fire. Um, they did some great stuff there and he was kind of the, I wouldn't say young hot prospect, but he was one of those managers. I think in the media, especially were saying he's up and coming in that kind of sense. So he makes his big move to Villa. Um, some people will say it's not a bigger club, blah, 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 whatever. It's not a bigger next step move. To some people it is. Some people it isn't. I'm not going to go there. Um, but, uh, yeah, so he comes in and finishes with a 34-26-55 and 55 record, a 29.57 win percent ratio uh, between June 2012 and February 2015. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if leaving Villa, how it kind of – was starting to definitely tail off at the end if that just ruined his career because if you look at everywhere else like you said Danny he's he's just going downhill like 
he was expected to come in and basically re- start from nothing, have no investment from Randy Lerner. It was ownership didn't want to spend anything. It was basically we spent all this money with O'Neill. And it, I don't know if it was a case of I don't have any more money or I'm just done blowing my money away and not getting the expectations I think this club deserves. He basically had a shoestring budget, did actually bring in a lot of players that were key. You look at Ben Teke, um, amongst others. I love that front three of Vyman, Egbon, Lahore, and Penteke. That was I, as crap as we were for a period of time. I love that. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I do feel like he was a little bit hard done by it, but I do also agree there was a lot of neg- uh, n- negativity too. Yeah, so like the thing is we, we had Ben Teke and we had Delph. Um, were, were, the, were those his signings? Yeah, he I, signed Benteke. Yes, yes. Right. Yeah. So he, you know, he got he got to sign Benteke, and he and he did well for Villa. But there was a lot of other signings around that time, which just kind of made me think, like, what's what's going on here? You know, surely two to three seasons is enough time for you to kind of get the get the club stable again, um, and you know, at the very least, kind of push on a little bit. Yeah. I think like. You know, the first season he came in as well, we had that 8-0 defeat to Chelsea. And it kind oh, of, yeah. <laughs> it just kind of showed you what, I mean, that 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 that, that club was going downhill since since McLeish went in. Um, so, Since McLeish, you know, was was put in charge. And, and we were accustomed by that time to very negative football. And Lambert kind of carried that on in a way. Um, I think he did try to kind of implement a prettier style of football than McLeish, but still kind of it, it, it took a few months before we were back to kind of having 10 men behind the ball every single game. And it was like that for two or three years. And it was terrible, terrible football. And I'm going to be flat out honest and just say we were carried by Christian Benteke under Paul Lambert's um, uh, under Paul Lambert's time at Villa. Yeah, uh... The only credit I'll give him is he did actually have some good signings, like you said, like Ben Teke. Uh, West was, was actually a very good signing, proved to be, of course, he's still Vlar. a Premier League player. Uh, Vlar, yeah. Uh, uh, Loughton was very good as well, still a Premier League player. Um, trying to think of other ones. There, there was quite some a few Some people would say Westwood, even though I'm not his biggest fan. Yeah, I yeah yeah I mentioned but, that. I don't know if you missed that. <laughs> oh, sorry. But like the, thing, the, the, the thing with those players was, though, we were we were at that time sort of expected to kind of do well yeah you know having just signed players who had never played in the premier league before you know lower league english english players as well who yeah. you know they they just weren't going to compete at that same level and i think my my problem with the lambert era was it it felt almost gutless at at, at certain points it almost felt like the players weren't trying um, and it just was really uninspiring, and we kind of heard the same excuses game after game. Yeah, I think the thing is, too, is uh, when you look at him especially, um, like, like we've said the whole time, is he was managing decline. And with that comes a lot of speculation, negativity. Um, basically, bring through all these youthful players and do the best you can. Um, I think the one thing I will say on paul lambert's end of things is he could string a few games together when it really mattered um and evidently that kept us up for a few years i'll I'll give him that because essentially with the budget um and the way things were going i think he did fairly well but on this list i think he deserves to be where he is but but the funny thing is though yeah with, with with lambert is that he gained a reputation then for being a manager that could keep a club going with without much money but he hasn't succeeded in that since then and he's been at four other clubs 
Yeah, but if you look at the jobs he's also taken, uh, was it Stoke? They were basically dead and buried. Uh, kind of, they're all kind of like wildfires. Basically, look at uh, Ipswich. Like he's at he, Ipswich now. Yeah. Yeah, like they basically he went in. Their transfer policy basically couldn't buy anybody. Um, everyone had to be a free. <laughs> well, um, you, or remember, like, you remember when he when he first went in? It was because it was because Mick McCarthy had signed like players from the National League. Yeah. <laughs> what on earth was Lambert going to manage to do there? Yeah, and I think even now, I think their transfer policy is still a little screwed. So I don't go into the whole thing of Ipswich because I don't know. But I think that's definitely one of several contributing factors. But uh, anyways, Danny, can we have your uh, next manager on this list, good sir? Wait, how many have we got left? Uh, I think we have uh, Bruce Smith and Martin O'Neill, yes. Okay, so I think number three is Steve Bruce in that case. Yes. Because, so Steve, so Steve Bruce, for me, I still think I'm going to remember him favorably at Villa. Because, mm-hmm. you know, what he did to kind of turn things around after we'd just basically been battered, you know, battered for years. And suddenly I think what he managed to do with us in the championship was turn us into a, turn us into a tough side to beat. And I think that eventually turned us into a team that, you know, were picking up wins. You know, we went on a really good run of form that season when we ended up finishing third. You know, this was after Di Matteo had kind of uh, had kind of taken us to only one win in 11 or something like that. I think Bruce Bruce turned us around a little bit in that season. Then the next season we finished third. Am I, am I correct in thinking that? I Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, but what what he did with the team was he 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 managed to he managed to get them kind of enjoying their football again, and that's yeah. what we needed at that point. We needed a manager to just kind of you know tell the boys to free up a bit because this wasn't a team that you know needed hard tactical management at that point. Yeah, um, I th- I think the thing with uh, with Steve Bruce too is there is just so much negativity. Especially with Di Matteo leaving, uh, you look at that. It was so sh- just short term. It just looked like it was never going to work out. Uh, then you look at Steve Bruce. Everyone says, okay, look at his resume with Hull. Um, they went up and down, basically a bit of a yo-yo club at that point. Uh, a bit of a, hope- a hopeful and stabilizing force we were kind of looking at him to be. Um, of course, that was from October 2016 to October 2018. So he was... I think about two years, if not just under, um, within terms of days. Um, his record was 46, 25, and 31 with a 45.10 win percent ratio. So uh, definitely, I think actually, if I'm looking at all the win percentage, albeit in the championship, um, his is actually the highest. Um, so you have to give him some credit there. Um it, it's really tough under Steve Bruce because the players that were brought in, your Ross McCormacks, I believe, of the world. Um, I can't oh, remember. He was given Co- a lot of money. Yeah, I can't remember if Kaja came in when Di Matteo was still around. Like, which players came in in between that? You know what I mean? Um, between him being gone and not. Um, um, I think they all came in under Di Matteo, I'm pretty sure. And then a few people came in in January. Most of them did, most yes. of them did yeah. Yeah, so I'm correct in saying that. Hogan came in in January. Yes, that was it. Okay. So with that being said, there was so much kind of mishmash together. Um, you're essentially trying to blend a whole squad in from, when was Di Matteo gone looking at here? October. 
So um, we'll say we'll say November 1st as a, as a good start time. So you're looking at November of 2016, um, hopefully as a, a, flesh, a fresh slate for Steve Bruce to look and assess a squad. And from there on, you're trying to get your best squad, but they're also put together in a way like th- there wasn't a solid transfer policy is what I'm trying to say. It was just throw it together. We're going to buy the top scorer from this league, the top scorer two years ago. We're going to buy um, experienced midfielder here. That's like 33. We're going to buy this guy because he's won the championship twice. Like it, it was just all over the place. Wasn't it Danny? Yeah. Um, I think like, I think it was, I think it's, it's one of those where, Steve Bruce essentially did what he was going to do. You know, yeah. if he was offered the money, he was going to he was going to use it. But, you know, it, it wasn't just him that was involved in the transfer in the transfer dealings and the transfer signings and you know, perhaps it, he would have benefited from uh, an owner or uh, or a director saying, "Look, let's just rein it back a little bit." Uh, but he's going to be almost defined Steve Bruce by that one game. By that, by that one playoff game, if he'd have taken Villa up that season, would have been okay. And you know, maybe once you're in the Premier League, you know, you've got a little bit more spending power. Perhaps Steve Bruce would do with Villa what he's doing with Newcastle right now. But uh, it just didn't work out that way, unfortunately. Um, and well, you might say fortunately. Now you might say that Villa are in a better place now because if they'd have continued to spend, yeah, I was like going to say that going to, yeah, that club was nearly. Oh, who knows? Who knows what we would have happened? could have been a Pompey, honestly. Well, we this, this is it. This is it. Like, at the end of the day, he's going to be tarnished ever so slightly by by what nearly happened that summer. And it's not his fault, necessarily. But, you know, he, he knew... He, he'll have known what was going on, you know, to some degree. He'll have known that, you know, Villa shouldn't have been spending that sort of money. Um, and I think it just kind of... After that, after Villa didn't go up that uh, in in that playoff game where, quite frankly, they just didn't turn up at all. Um, Steve Bruce's tactics were heavily criticised in the next season, and the the team just didn't seem inspired at all to to pick up any points. It it was it was terrible to watch. Yeah, um... something just changed. Something just snapped out of Villa, the team that you know marched on to finish third that season before. I think for a morale thing, it just kind of ruined everything and it left so many things in question because I think we don't know everything behind the scenes, but I think someone like Steve Bruce probably knew Villa not going up is putting them in the worst possible situation. I think a lot of definitely ownership, a lot of key figures up near the top probably knew Villa were almost screwed um, under Tony Gia at that point, Um, basically hedging money he doesn't have. Um, but anyways, we'll put him as uh, third from the top on that list. Um, think he deserves that at the very least. Um, Danny, it's a good it's a good toss up between um, kind of past versus present right now. You have mm-hmm. Dean Smith, the Villa man himself, and then of course you have Martin O'Neill, who gave us some fantastic years. If you're going to pick uh, second from top, who would you go for? This is hard, isn't it? It's so so I'm, 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 but the thing is, I'm going to go with Dean Smith purely for the fact that I'm going to go Dean Smith second and Martin O'Neill top purely for the fact that Martin O'Neill did, um, did achieve a lot in the Premier League. And it's kind of unfair on Dean because Martin O'Neill was only around for about six months at the start of the decade. And arguably him leaving and him uh, and, 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 and the way that 
that business transpired leading up to Martin O'Neill leaving arguably set Villa on a downward trajectory but the obviously the blame can't be placed on him solely um but we'll 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 go into that when 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 we go in when when we go into it um there's just not a clear winner for me but I'll go with Dean Smith second and the reason he's above everybody else is is because of that promotion season we we had no business going up that year because what Steve Bruce had, Bruce had turned Villa into in that season was an absolute shell of the of the, of the team that challenged for promotion the year before, um, and and the players were just not picking up wins. They they were so unconfident, and suddenly we looked at we we transformed transformed as a side. We were playing attacking football under Dean Smith. We were playing this vibrant style of football that we had not seen as Villa fans in years, in arguably a decade, and. Uh, we we also finally had a manager who looked like you know he really cared about the club, and and wasn't going to be um and 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 wasn't going to what's the word hide from uh from 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 criticism uh and and I think even the Premier League this season even though it's been hard for him he's put up a good fight so far um I but but because of all the questions because of the fact that we are still in the relegation zone it put him, it makes it hard to to put him at the top. Yeah, I, I think the thing that keeps him from the top is essentially uh, kind of lack of longevity. He hasn't been here extremely long, so we can't put him over someone who was with the club for about four seasons. And then you look at Dean Smith's record, it's 29-14-22, a 44.62 win percent ratio. A lot of those wins are in the championship, so you're comparing Martin O'Neill's uh, 80 wins in well you'd have to say i'm assuming those are all like all um all matches not just premier league and i'm trying to spit out there um but oh. uh a higher tier of game you would say o'neill was backed heavily though and that yes. squad was already kind of premier league solid when he when he came in i think that's yeah. the, that's what you've got to remember you know yeah when martin, when martin o'neill came in we still had Martin Lawson. We still had Olaf Melberg, Wilfred Baumer. That defense already was was quality. You know, okay, we didn't sign a a bloody left back for years after that. After that, <laughs> we, we didn't we didn't really have a, a a brilliant right back in for for a little while. But you know, we 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 had we had the foundations of a strong team then. You know, Angel was still around, um, even though I think he he, he went pretty soon after. Um, but would he have gone? Would he have gone after the first season of O'Neill? Actually, I can't, I can't remember. remember. But anyways, remember. Yeah. but yeah, yeah. You, you know, he, he was he did have some solid players there when Gareth Barry and that kind of thing. Dean Smith's having to, Dean Smith's having to turn a, a a low confidence team into something else. He's having to rebuild Villa here, and that's why, you know, if things go our way, if Villa stay up this season. You might be looking at Dean Smith as somebody who had who basically did the harder job. He's essentially doing something that Steve Bruce couldn't. He couldn't take basically a band of misfits, albeit Steve Bruce had a longer uh, term as manager as of right now, I do believe, or yeah, we're getting did. around there. Yeah, yeah so yeah, so basically he's turning a band of misfits of lone players that have turned to permanent signings. Um into basically i don't know what was it like here's a hundred and some odd million pounds for a team here basically you're losing half your team because they're either too old and out of contract they're not good enough and whatever other reasons um and get some players in here within this budget and basically get half of a new squad 
and uh, work this thing out. And albeit a lot of people right now probably want him out. I've seen way too much of that. Um, we'll not get into that right now. Um, but uh, he's doing a pretty good job, you'd have to say. Even though we come on here week by week and we're quite frustrated, um, you'd have to give him a lot of credit for what he's done. But Danny, let's get on to the number one here, and then we'll wrap this up because we've definitely went over the half an hour we told people. <laughs> no, it's okay. It doesn't matter. As, it's all good. as we as we always do. Um, but um, of course, Martin O'Neill is our um, number one here on this list of the top Villa managers in the last decade. You're looking in August 2006 to August 2010 run of 80, 60, and 50. Um, I like how it's all uh, numbers ending in zeros. Um, very clean there. Uh, record uh, with a win percentage of 42.11. So uh, definitely, obviously not the highest. Steve Bruce is the highest, albeit that was in the championship. But the years under him will include all four years um, because I think we can't just judge him on literally like half a year. It's not really fair. Um, but uh, the most memorable years, the years that made me into a Villa fan, um, the players we had, the football we played, the amount of times we beat Birmingham City, uh, the ways we beat Birmingham City, um, almost getting the top four um, was heartbreaking. But those hopes and dreams and the things that he provided us I, I don't think we're gonna see for a long time yeah no I think as well like you know that 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 period of time was just was just great as a as a young Villa fan I mean as a teenager as well you know it was it meant I could go and see Villa play in the Europa League you know got to see matches against Ajax and um Shuska Moscow I think as well like that period of time for me like is best remembered for me by like Martin Lawson, Ashley Young John Carew and we did have quality players then and Martin O'Neill was responsible for bringing in a lot of a lot of top quality players I think like you know just on that like really quickly as well like he was also responsible for overpaying for a lot of very average players and I think that's ultimately where the downfall came but you know we 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 finished sixth consistently with him didn't we and I think the first season I think he brought us up to the 11th place position and then after that we were just solid we were just solid, Cole. Uh, you know, that was it, it, it was it was good to watch as well. Like Ashley Young whipping the ball into to John Carew, and I think we we played Route One football, but it but it worked. Yeah, I, I think the thing with Martin O'Neill, it's a lot of what ifs. Like, what if he was had one more season and the budget was there? Like, where would we have be been? Like, in in terms of that, in terms of what players would have stayed longer what would have went on in terms of the transfer policy there's so many what ifs there because everything just kind of ended so abruptly um and i think there's a lot of players maybe even gabby said it. i take a lot from those interviews that i heard the other week um where a lot of people didn't even really know about it um until like days later and when they reached out to him he just never got back to them and it took maybe even months or years to hear from him again. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I, I don't know if that was Gabby, but I there was somewhere else, someone else saying like it took ages to get a hold of him. They were trying to talk to him because they heard the news and they just didn't hear from him for a long time. Um, so the, all, we all know that there were some uh, harsh feelings between ownership and uh, O'Neill. There definitely was uh, just there, – there wasn't a lot of uh, – cooperation as you could say so what um, was it was it to do was it to do with him not being able to kind of fund the transfers that he wanted 
I don't know the exact details, but from the gist of it, it seemed like the way the club was going, I think Lerner at that point, oh, I just hit my mic, um, expected, um, I get really excited when I use my hands for some <laughs> reason. Um, <laughs> um, and, um, I think at that point, Lerner maybe just thought like, you know what, I'm putting all this money into it and we're still not getting where I want to go. But- it was fair enough, though. Like, it, we, I think I think Lerner was fair in thinking that, and I know that you know after that you just didn't invest in the club, and you know that 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 really is where what the issue was. But you know, O'Neill was responsible for signing um, Nigel Riokoka, spending plenty of money on him, and then sticking him at right back. You know, he brought in Marlon Harewood for I think near ten million pounds. I think it might have been like was it was it eight or nine million pounds or something like that, and then yeah, barely roughly. played him. Um, or, or, you know, he, he wasn't capable of, of starting up front for Villa necessarily um, all the time. And I think that, that there was a lot of questionable decisions uh, that really did stop Villa from finishing fourth because there was one season where, where Villa should have finished fourth. But in that January, Martin O'Neill decided to sign Emil Heskey, um, ignore Radamel Falcao. Whilst Arsenal signed Arshavin, uh, yeah. and that 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 period, that period, that that January for me was the time where Villa basically said, like, well, I don't know, they should have taken the risk that 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 year, and they didn't, and I think because of that, it just meant that we 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 stayed where we were going to be, and you know, when you when you're challenging, when you're knocking on the door for fourth place like that, and you've been spending all this money, you have to capitalize, and I think that's where that's where Martin O'Neill went wrong almost and you know it's hard and I'm not I'm not trying to take anything away from him but um this is it he needed to what's the word yeah he needed to capitalize we we needed to finish fourth that season I I think the thing that's crazy here Danny is if you look at and kind of listen to what we said about Martin O'Neill and the what ifs. Essentially, what didn't happen and what Lerner decided to do from a financial business standpoint after that has essentially led to a lot of managerial merry-go-round messes, uh, just terrible transfers, bad business decisions. Um, and I think now under current ownership, um, and obviously we've went through obviously one owner in between current ownership and learner with Tony Gia um, or Ja, whatever, how you want to say it. Um, <laughs> but um, I, it, there's just, there's a huge mess. And I almost wonder if, if certain things did happen where we'd be right now because of those, but that's life. You, you, you can't essentially kind of live off what ifs you have to move on and move forward. But anyways, Danny, um, let's wrap it up there. We've been going for about an hour. It's been a good chat. We <laughs> thought we'd be about half an hour, but in typical Holtcast fashion, I'm sure our listeners will enjoy this. You know what? Put this on if you're doing some backyard work or if you are uh, have a little home gym you're working out or you're doing whatever, sitting around the, uh, the coffee table looking for something to do or listen to. Uh, put it on because we like to ramble and do all that good stuff. Uh, Danny, do you have any closing remarks? Oh, yeah, I just wanted to say, like, sorry if any of you heard any of my parrots or if it's been a bit loud, like, in the back here. I'm actually in isolation in Birmingham here. So, I mean, it's uh, it's it, it, it's rough, but this is what we're trying to do, isn't it, Cole? We're, we're just trying to trying to get a show out for you. Exactly. You know what? I haven't heard your parrots, like, this whole time, but before we were recording, I could. So they're very kind to parrots. They listen. 
and they're quiet while recording. So no, you know what? Uh, a match ball to those parrots. <laughs> match ball. There's nowhere else to put the match ball. I think yeah, S3 exactly. Konza gets the match ball for, for the only action this week. Well, oh, Wesley scored in that game too, so fair enough. <laughs> oh, yeah, so he did. So he did. Um, yeah. Um, I think the, the only thing we didn't mention is the... Oh, I don't think we've spoken since the whole Jack Grealish issue, but I think we just need to maybe just forget about that for now because it's yeah, been well, it's been a while now we'll forget about that well we won't talk about that i think a lot of a lot of different uh, podcasts and stuff have kind of gotten on about that i don't think we need to uh, dig up that kind of mess again but anyways guys and danny of course thank you very much for joining me listeners we very much appreciate it uh we'll hopefully get another one of these podcasts out to you again very soon with another idea if you l- like these ideas let us know of course you can tweet us at 7500 to holt go to the website www.7500toholt.com yes i got the three w's that time of course you can find danny on twitter at razajourno you can find me on twitter at talk aston villa and all together we make up the 7500 to Holt Holtcast and of course as always up the villa